we would really encourage schools to think about putting transparency top of that list. So whatever you decide about your definitions, to be saying clearly, this is this is our decision. And we're not hiding content anywhere. It's, it's out there for you to see. Let's discuss it. Let's talk about it. Maybe we'll need to revise it in years to come. But this is our starting point. Welcome to another episode of RSHE Ready, a podcast where we hear from leading voices in the education sector to hear what colleagues can do to ensure they're ready for the introduction of the new statutory RSHE requirements. Uh, in this episode, we hear from Lucy Emerson, Director of the Sex Education Forum. Uh, Lucy leads policy and campaigns actively to secure children and young people's entitlement to good quality relationships and sex education. Uh, Lucy's been at the forefront of campaigns for statutory RSE and is regularly called on to inform both the policy and research agenda and to speak in the media. We also hear from Matt Brough, the visionary maths and healthy schools lead at Robinsfield Infant School, part of the George Eliot Federation in Westminster, London. The Federation consists of two schools with around 600 children in total and they recently launched a brand new PSHE programme with a new curriculum policy and a focus on parental engagement. Hope you enjoy this episode. Do make sure you subscribe if you are using Spotify or iTunes and uh, you'll be notified as soon as new episodes become available. So thank you both for joining me today uh, and as you both know we'll be discussing sex education definitions in this episode and specifically what schools and colleagues need to do in their policies and practices in order to align with the new statutory RSHE requirements. Uh, and let's just quickly touch on what they are. So at primary schools need to define relationships education and any sex education they choose to teach other than that covered in the science curriculum. And at secondary, they need to define relationships and sex education, RSE. Uh, And I think this is an area that a lot of our listeners will have questions on because it's so central to the planning and delivery of the new statutory content. Uh, So it's great to have you here, Lucy, as an authoritative voice on this topic that they can trust. And also to have the on the ground perspective from yourself, Matt, and a school that's already successfully implemented these changes. Uh, And Lucy, given that we've always used a joined up definition for RSE, Why is it that we now need a separate definition for sex education? Thank you. So it's largely because the new RSHE guidance requires schools to have separate definitions for relationships education and any sex education that they're choosing to teach if it's a primary and also in secondary schools to be able to provide a separate definition of relationships and sex education because parents can withdraw only from the sex education element. So it needs to be defined so schools know which bit they're saying parents can withdraw from. So it's to operationalise that parental right to withdraw from the sex education component. Uh, and Matt, at Robinsford, you took the decision to implement the statutory requirements based on the uh, original September 2020 deadline. Uh, so what was the starting point for coming up with your definitions and engaging parents in this process? Thank you, Sam. So I think from the start, we've taken a really need-centred approach to the development of our programme. So we've started with a federation-wide questionnaire to understand the needs of parents, carers and the children themselves. 
And then from this, we've been able to build in our curriculum and policy development that we could then share with parents through coffee mornings and workshops. And I think this cyclical approach has really supported us in ensuring we were transparent and listening to parents, which has established trust in this area. And um, we've also worked really closely with um, an expert um, to help us engage sort of parents and support us in the finding a definition. That sounds great, Matt. Uh, really interested as well. You mentioned the coffee mornings uh, in your answer there. Could you just kind of, you know, tell us what these coffee mornings look like, what, what they would typically involve? So for you know this uh, process that we undertook, coffee mornings were across the federation. So we had um, two of them, one at each school. And it basically involved us trying to um, engage with parents to you know, help them understand what's in the curriculum, to help them understand the reasons why elements of the curriculum are based where they are. And I think this process of transparency and being really open with them has helped you know, tackle some of this dis- disinformation and given them a chance to ask questions. And that's played, I think, a big role in helping parents feel at ease and has contributed and has contributed to us having um, currently zero withdrawals from sex education across the Federation. Well, that's a a fantastic kind of reflection on that engagement process, hopefully. Uh, And yeah, hopefully kind of listeners can can pick up some tips uh, from this episode and, and implement some of those ideas in their own settings as well. Um, and a question for you, I suppose, Lucy, uh, at a practical level, what is it that schools need to understand about this? OK, so they need to be able to have a definition that they own and they put it in the policy. Um, they must have a policy on, on RSE. Um, and then to get to a point where they're able to say, well, looking at our curriculum, looking at what's being taught in year seven or year three, these are the lessons that we say include some sex education or are entirely sex education they might end up saying there are three lessons out of the whole year or out of their entire programme for RSC that that are the sex education lessons. Or it may be that part of the lesson is sex education, but it's that pinpointing to say, based on our definition, these are the lessons, these are the ones that parents can withdraw from. And that will open up those conversations with parents who are considering withdrawing from those elements. And it may be that looking at the content of those lessons, parents then say, well, actually, can I take my, my child out of this one and that one, but not not the other? Um, and that's going to help build understanding and support and hopefully maximise inclusion of all children in, in the provision the school is providing. Um, and, and having that kind of transparency to pinpoint is going to be very important. And, and just so colleagues are clear, uh, I think it's helpful if we make the distinction between primary and secondary. Could you just outline, Lucy, what the kind of differences are uh, for each setting? So in primary schools, relationships education and health education are mandatory. Health education does include learning about the adolescent body, puberty, that kind of thing. So that is mandatory. Um, All primary schools are encouraged by the DfE guidance to also provide sex education. Um, And that would largely be how a baby is conceived and born. But it might include other elements of of reproduction and other things that we might define as sex education. so that's that's how it stands for primary to, to make their definition around that. Whereas at secondary, the RSC content is laid out um, in, in the guidance in full. There is a subsection there um, that covers intimate sexual relationships, including sexual health. 
but that section in itself is not necessarily equivalent to sex education. There's some content in there um, on the characteristics of healthy relationships, things like respect, loyalty, trust, um, that we might say fell under relationships education. So again, that need for splitting out is slightly different, um, but, but still a task to be done. There's another consideration for secondary schools as well, which is that they are required to provide the sex education for any young person who has been opted out by their parent and then wants to opt back in. Um, and that should be from three terms before the young person's 16th birthday. So there's a practical consideration there for schools to start thinking about um, looking ahead. How would we provide that? Can we package up the sex education and do that um, as, as a kind of compressed catch up programme for, for any young people that applies to? Um, but it's yeah, it's it's interesting how the legislation has acknowledged the rights of, of young people and um, to have that information before the age of consent before the age of um, sexual consent, um, but still wanting to work with parents on this. So we're at a kind of interesting point um, with that. And I think, um, we, you know, we shouldn't be afraid of some parents wanting to withdraw at this moment in time. There is a sense of quite a lot of change with this, although there is continuity where schools are already providing this. Um, but that opportunity to listen to parents' views, understand more, about where they're coming from, it will lead to better relationships and sex education because it can be more responsive to to children's families and to their to their lived experience. So, you know, I'd say make this a part of the discussion and and use that to build better RSC rather than thinking it's something fearful to, to kind of get through. Brilliant, thanks, Lucy. Uh, and yeah, as you were saying, I think it's really important for schools to kind of know exactly what parents can and can't withdraw from and hopefully that's something that they can kind of make clear in their policies and, and really it's in their interest isn't it to kind of have that transparency um we'll take this opportunity as well just to flag uh, the sex education forums rse definitions document uh, i don't know if lucy lucy if you'd like to say a few words on that because i'm sure you played a big role in kind of putting it together and getting it out there Thanks, Sam. Yes, we wrote this um, some months ago because we realised that schools were spending quite a lot of time trying to figure out their own definitions for relationships and sex education separately. So we've included sample definitions that schools can adapt. Um, we've included a kind of line by line analysis of anything that could be considered to be sex education and all the considerations for where it might best be placed in the curriculum. So, for example, something like um, correct terms for um, genitalia, that can be taught under, um, under science, under national curriculum science. It may also be part of a school safeguarding policy. So it may be happening anyway, even if it's not part of sex education, it may be covered under health education. So we look at each and every issue that could be sex education in that way. Um, and also provide some principles, some guiding principles, because I think the intention around those principles is going to be important. And we would really encourage schools to think about putting transparency top of that list. So whatever you decide about your definitions, to be saying clearly, this is this is our decision, and we're not hiding content anywhere. It's, it's out there for you to see. Let's discuss it. Let's talk about it. Maybe we'll need to revise it in years to come, but this is our starting point. Thanks, Lucy. Uh, interesting to note as well that 85% of schools were already uh, covering relationships and health education kind of before these new changes were decided upon. So I think, yeah, that transparency is really a key point. You know, they were already doing this. It's just 
now they really need to kind of make it clear to parents exactly what they're doing. So it's not a departure in practice necessarily. It it might just be kind of changes to the school website to, um, you know, mechanisms for engaging with parents. I know a lot of schools will have already had these mechanisms in place as well. Uh, so, yeah, just, just one for colleagues to consider. Um, and Matt, can you highlight any specific examples that you've used at Robinsfield uh, to support teachers and parents' understanding of this area? Yeah, thank you, Sam. I think we found that defining sex, ed- sex education is actually a really challenging thing to begin with. And it's something that's much easier to, def- to, much easier to define what it isn't as opposed to what it is. So I think the first step for a school and for a federation like ours, and the same with any subject really, was to sit down and work out what needed to go in the curriculum and when you're going to teach that curriculum. So from then we were able to go through and pinpoint which objective sits within, the, sits within health education, which objective covers relationships, and which objectives may or may not be sex education. And then We really made use of the definitions um, of sex education by the Sex Education Forum. And their definition is, you know, laid out really clearly in our policy for staff and parents. But I think it's probably important to note that maybe the most useful thing for them is the curriculum outline, where you can really pinpoint to parents what's taught, when, why it's taught, and have those conversations that are really open and honest and, you know, build on that ethos of trust that's important for schools to have. And we found out that this sort of really took away lots of parents' fear and targeted some of the things they may have concerns about. It also meant that we could, you know, pinpoint parents to the right page of the policy um, to say, go and have a look at this and then come back with any questions. And I think this took away a lot of the questions before they were asked. Another way we've you know, worked to try and reassure parents about the changes to the curriculum is that our curriculum has been designed with the you know, PSHE Association's programme of study alongside the um, technical guidance of UNESCO. So it's grounded sort of international best practice and national best practice together, which I think, you know, you talk about communities and our community at the Robinsfield George Elliott Federation is really mobile around the world. And grounding it in international research has really reassured families and helps them whenever they're, you know, next stage of their education, whether that's in London, in the UK or further afield. Absolutely. Um, I don't know as well if it's worth touching on the kind of role that the media play uh, in relation to parents, because, you know, obviously, since these changes were agreed upon, there's been a lot of media coverage from various outlets and often that's the kind of entry point, isn't it, to parents. Uh, that's where they get their information from about these changes. So for schools like, like yourself, Matt, and colleagues like yourself to go straight to the source of the guidance and kind of show parents what it's all about, that can be really reassuring, I think, uh, and dispel a lot of the misinformation and myths around these changes that, that we've all seen kind of come out in the press. I don't know, Lucy, if you'd like to touch on that as well. Sure. I mean, I think language is a really complicated thing and it can lead to a lot of misunderstanding. People understand words like sex and relationships in different ways. They understand the term sexuality to mean different things. So we're dealing with all of that in trying to make these definitions and 
it can feel like we're getting quite stuck in the semantics, but also pressing on a lot of emotions. Um, but if you if you take some of that away and try to find where the common ground is, what is it we want to achieve for our children and young people? We want them to be healthy, we want them to be happy, we want them to be safe. So what do they need to know to, to get to that point? And some of the things they need to know are about how their body is, is going to change. They need to be able to recognise something that is abusive. They need to be able to recognise sexual abuse. Um, they need to know um, what is okay and what is, is not okay. They need to know about the law. Um, you know, we, we've heard from children who say they didn't understand what, what rape was. No one actually explained that because no one had, had explained what sex is. Um, so we need to get to grips with that through the curriculum in a really age-appropriate way, um, through all the building blocks about um, respectful behaviour towards one another that would be there. Um, but finding that common ground and then working back um, and then looking at how something is taught can be really helpful. So the media can, can prompt a lot of concerns about um, graphic images being shown to children or inappropriate language being used. Um, but look at the resources that a school is going to use for the sex education or the relationships education and, and ask how that resource is going to be used. And when you hear the voices of the children in it, you know, the questions they ask, because they're naturally curious about, about the world around them, um, it, it often um, sweeps many of those fears away. And we realise we're working together on a shared objective, something that parents are contributing to at home, something that schools are playing their part in as well, because we want those children to have the information in, in time to be safe and healthy and happy. Thanks, Lisa. That's, that's really insightful. Um, and Matt, a question for you, I guess, just kind of, kind of if you've got any examples of where or if parents have been concerned about aspects of sex education, what has your approach been uh, as a school to listen to and resolve these concerns? Yeah, I think um, more generally building on what Lucy had said is that the homeschool partnership in all aspects is really, really important. And being able to build, tap into that partnership that's already established resolves a lot of those concerns very, very quickly. And parents and schools have, you know, the same aims of keeping children safe, of helping them progress, of making sure they're ready for the next stage of their education and life. And, you know, PSHE and RSHE is fundamental to that. So I think even when there are concerns and worries, actually, um, school, home, partnerships are pointing in the same direction and, you know, laying those out at the start of a meeting or when a parent's concerned, automatically means you're, you know, heading in the same direction and you're working together rather than it being an opposing battle or, oh, I think this about my child and the school thinking something else. By, you know, really clearly laying out the aims, the shared aims and goals, it closes that gap to begin with. And then you can have a discussion about concerns or the way forward for that child. That's great to hear, Matt, and it's it's clearly worked because, as you say, you know you've had no withdrawal so far, and that's a kind of a really good building block uh, for you as a school and for a federation. Um, and thinking more generally, Lucy, is there anything else you suggest uh, that colleagues could try when engaging with parents or carers in this context? Um, I think um, quite an interesting question to start with is is asking parents and carers to recall their own relationships and sex education. 
um, it, it can be quite useful to, to think back and, and decide whether it was any good or not. Um, and then to ask oneself what it is we want for our, our children and young people. Um, you could even use a poll to do that with, a, with an online group of parents and ask them to just rate their own relationships and sex education. Um, you know, that's, that's, that can be one way of getting a, conversa- a conversation started. Uh, I think that's a really good point, actually, because obviously we have to take the current context in, into consideration as well, where a lot of parents uh, will be engaging with this remotely. Um, so some great ideas of what schools can do, with, you know, things that work when they're not necessarily in person. I don't know if you have anything to add, Matt, about kind of remote techniques for this type of thing. I think absolutely. Um, to begin with, you need you need some understanding of your parents' needs and where they're coming from. So I think a questionnaire would be an amazing way to start any consultation process at the moment, because it it allows you to gather information, especially if you're still in the you know development phase of your curriculum and policy. And it really you know opens up the subject to all parents, which I think sometimes you know we do things in schools that you know, only reach a certain selection of the parental body. I think sending out a questionnaire now where, um, you know, more parents will be, more parents and carers will be active in their child's education is a really good way to broach the subject and find out if you've got, you know, whether you've got a parental body that's really supportive of what you're trying to do or whether a parental body that you need to put more time into consultation with and really engage them and make them understand where you're coming from. Can I add something else on there? Now I've remembered some other points that could, um, I expect Matt's covered pretty well anyway, but I, I was just thinking um, when it comes to involving parents in understanding the the RSE definitions, um, that could be part of a, a package of work on parental consultation. Um, and using open questions is, is a really good idea. Not being afraid that asking an open question will get, a range of views and information back, but you can pace it out so you have a chance to digest what comes back from the first round of consultation. Um, and asking parents about what topics are high priority for them right now because of the pandemic context, that again shows that understanding that parents are dealing with a lot of live issues trying to support their children and young people right now, but also asking about values. So not just saying, well, what are the topics? Because the topics can be where um, the pressure rises a bit, saying, well, I don't want this taught at this point. But actually, if you go back to the values, that's where you're going to find a lot of the common ground. And then being responsive to any um, particular ways you can make the process more accessible. So if there's a language barrier, is there someone within the parent community who would be able to translate around these quite sensitive bits of vocabulary, which can really get lost in translation? And that might that might be backfiring if the translations are not are not helping to um, to get us closer to to a shared understanding. So looking at the language accessibility um, can be really important. Being sensitive to things like do we need to have some consultation um, in, in single sex groups as well. Fantastic, uh, and I think we we kind of mention it no matter what the topic is uh, in in these podcasts, but. I guess it's, it's worth mentioning as well that schools need to do a bit of work to make everything relevant to, to their own context and you know where they're, where they're located. Um, so I don't know if you want to speak through the profile of, of your own parents, Matt, in Westminster and if there have kind of been any changes or any tailoring that you've had to do. Um, yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Sam. Um, so 
again, as I said, we started with a questionnaire, but in order to make it relevant to our um, community, we we spoke to parents. We you know discussed as a staff body, you know the concerns parents had raised with us, and you know those concerns were included in the questionnaire. And on top of that, um, we gave parents an opportunity an opportunity to tell us what their children wanted to know. So a big part of our questionnaire was thinking about children questions children had asked at home um, to make sure that whatever we were doing it was focused on what the children needed and again I think parents were really honest and open with us in that even if they had you know concerns about um, the RSHE program overall the fact we were asking about their children and how questions you know the questions they had were, was a really good way of you know targeting it and bringing in that engagement initially. That's great, thanks Matt. Uh, and finally, because I guess it would be reality for some colleagues listening out there, what can be done if parents or carers do decide to withdraw from the uh, sex education aspects of this learning? One really helpful thing is to document the reasons for parents um, choosing to withdraw from the sex education element, because looking at those reasons kind of collectively will help the school to reflect on on, on any kind of themes there um, and to review that going forwards. Um, but that conversation can also lead to how the school might be able to support parents in providing for that sex education with their, with their child at home, because the child will still need that information um, because it is it's critical information. It is their right to know, um, to know about. And so we've, we've come across some schools providing um, kind of lending libraries or signposting to some um, types of resources that can be useful. So there is then that continued sense of partnership. It's not an either or. Um, there is that partnership to support in meeting the needs of the child. So for any parents that um, choose to withdraw from sex education um, within the Federation, there'll be a meeting with um, either the executive head or head of schools so we can really understand the reasons why. And as part of that meeting, um, I think it will be clear that parents have a duty to take this on themselves and to make sure their children understand, um, you know, what they need to know to keep them safe and to move forward with their education. And part of that will be showing resources, um, showing the curriculum to give all children, whether they're um, in school or have been withdrawn from those few lessons at a primary level, um, the best chance of sort of keeping up with the curriculum. Do hope you enjoyed that episode of RSHE Ready. Thanks for listening. And a big thank you to Lucy from the Sex Education Forum and to Matt as well. It's great to have them on that episode. And we will be hearing from Lucy again in the Identifying Age Appropriate Resources episode. If you want to find out more about the Sex Education Forum in the meantime, you can do so by visiting www.sexeducationforum.org.uk you can find out more about their resources, uh, advice, guidance, and also book on to their CPD courses. Take care for now.